Cognitive dissonance. What is it? Where does it come from? And how is it affecting us on a larger scale? Today we'll endeavor to plumb the depths for some answers to these questions. It's always important to remember that not all questions have answers. And that's okay. You have to have courage to face the unknown when you're off the reservation. I'm off the reservation. Fuck that. You're off the reservation. This whole goddamn planet's off the reservation. No, Pootie. Did you put on your grouchy pants today? All right. You are off the reservation. I'm Eric, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely wife, Garrison. That would be me. Yay. Today's show is on, if you didn't gather already, cognitive dissonance. But before we get into all that, we're going to talk about some of our favorite things. I'm going to take this opportunity to plug a couple of podcasts, um, and I'm going to be spouting off a bunch of Twitter addresses, and I'll do that again at the end. So if at some point you don't want to write these down or look them up right now, you can get ready to jot them down or just take some sort of note about what they are at the end, because these are, these are great people to be following and keeping track of and listening to their podcast and whatnot. Both of these I was turned on to by my buddy Chris. Of uh, He does his podcast called Unbuckling the Bible Belt, and it's the one that comes out of Nashville. I talked about it on the last show. A uh, couple of guys doing an atheist podcast out of Nashville, and they're covering current events and you know how it relates to you know, the pathologies of Christianity and whatnot, but, uh, he, you know, and you can follow him at Seething Heathen, and I'll spell these out too at the end of the show, but, uh, he turned me on to two podcasts. One of them is called Cognitive Dissonance, and it's a podcast with two guys named Cecil and Tom. Uh, I just recommend you look them up on www.dissonancepod.com, exactly like it sounds. Um, and they are very widely listened to. They got a great show, good production, um, and pretty decent distribution. They're available on iTunes and on Stitcher both. Um, and the other one is Scathing Atheist, and that's a podcast with Noah Ludgens, his wife Lucinda, and a, a guy named Heath Enright. I don't really know much about any of these people personally, but I have listened to their podcast. The podcasts are good. Noah is sort of, I think he's the sort of the lead guy on the on Scathing Atheist, and he does um, a diatribe segment at the beginning of his show. And the most recent episode, the diatribe segment, is pretty fucking awesome. It's actually it's pretty funny. It's a good rant. Yeah. It's topical. It's on point. It's um, well written, well delivered. It's just a really good. I like ranting. In case you know those of you that already know me that'll come as no spoiler but um i like a good rant and it's a really good one um because it's not just vacuous ranting it's actually got a point and it's it's really well done so check out both of them and again i'll give you the uh the scathing atheist is at noah underscore legends um on twitter and i'll, I'll spell all that out at the end of the show so everybody make sure they get all this stuff um i'm eric I mean, you can find me on Twitter while we're talking about that at Eric Pelham and Garrison is um, at Garamone. And congrats to us. We are now on iTunes and Stitcher. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. And I want to shout out again. Chris is a he, he works in the computer and uh, information processing field. That's where we met was in college. And we were both information systems majors at the time. And he actually stayed with it and got his bachelor's degree, and he now works in that field. So he helped me get us set up where we have uh, uh, an RSS stream that can actually link up to iTunes. So thanks to him for that. That was a, ba- that was a good good uh, use of time for us to do that. 
So uh, that's a couple of our favorite things as far as um, podcasts go. And that's probably going to be my primary thing of promoting my favorite things. are probably going to always be podcasts because I think that building this network of podcasters, especially those of us that are sort of taking actionable, you know, sort of gathering intel, networking it with each other and taking taking actual actions to move forward and push this you know it i believe a waning tide but it's a tide of christianity that has been that has permeated this nation for a hundred years or more now and really start pushing back on it especially now that there's a real possibility that information can supersede their nonsense and actually push them back to the place where they belong which is well out of the public yeah the dissenting voice is being heard because we have all these options to (laughs) get it out there now yeah Yeah, it's great um and my favorite things are actually going to be things (laughs) go figure favorite things things um, so why don't you tell us one of your favorite things? Well, we uh, recently went to Europe for Eric uh, and I's first time traveling together. We both traveled uh, somewhat widely, separately, but together. This is the first time we went to Paris, and then we went to several points in England. And in Paris, there is a wonderful place, uh, patisserie and... Um, uh, beverage shop called Angelina's and the hot chocolate there. Oh my God. It's like a drug. Seriously, you could mainline it and be high all day. Angelina's hot chocolate, two locations, one at Versailles, which is the one we went to this time. And then there's one actually in the heart of Paris, not too far from the Louvre that I've been to a couple of times. Awesome. Yeah, it was. It was a phenomenal experience. I have to say I was, uh, I was glad we were going, but I was a little reticent about Paris because I'd heard all the stereotypes about Parisians and whatnot, and I found absolutely none of it to be true. I had a brilliant time. It was amazing. The people were really cool. Um, And I told him this, but he really didn't believe it until it actually happened. And and another thing that we're going to mention this briefly now, but we're going to definitely go into this further in, in upcoming podcast, is the different vibe that you get in Europe because Christianity is such a... It's viewed by even sort of the blue-collar working class as being a bit silly. And that you definitely, we got into that more in London and in the UK because we actually had quite a few people that we sat around evening dinner tables and had conversations with. And, you know, there are people that will say, yes, I'm a Christian, but yeah, I mean, but I believe in evolution and I don't like, you know, you know, I don't proselytize. And they're basically like very sort of progressive new agey type Christians in that they believe that, you know, that what this person Jesus allegedly said to do was a good thing to do. And for the most part, that's absolutely correct. You know, just sort of follow the golden rule and you're probably going to be a good person. And that's why most of these people are the ones that proclaim to be Christians. Well, and, I think and, uh, you, we we forget how young we are as a country. Yeah. There it is so old there in the sense of it. I mean, there are cathedrals that have been there for a thousand years religion and life have been married for thousands of years there and it 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 truly is less of a uh hot button issue in the sense of as it is here because we're we're still really adolescent well that, and, they, and they're grown-ups and they <laughs> and they have the dubious honor of having been the heart of and survived through the dark ages Absolutely. which is the time period where christianity and rich white people had control of the world and it was an abysmal you know, that's what I'm saying. They're they're grown period. ups. They have yeah. gone past their adolescent acting out phase, which is what we are now in. I think. So anyway, I don't, we're not going to get too deep into that on this show, but uh, we're definitely going to be talking about that more, especially as we get through talking about the underlying problems of Christianity as a philosophy for life in the modern world, and we start talking about how that manifests and how that's going to 
you know, um, and, and how exactly it's problematic. And then we're going to start comparing different places in the world where Christianity is high versus where it's not. And, you know, we're going to start actually using real statistics and real world scenarios to describe and, and show how absolutely Christianity is actually contraindicated for progress. And, and we'll, we'll get into that more in the future. But um, to sort of launch off this week's episode, um, uh, we got a new segment we're going to do, and uh, we'll just go ahead and pop that in right now. And now for another episode of This Week in Stupid Shit. Okay, so This Week in Stupid Shit. Um, I'm going to really try to not make this guy become like a frequent flyer on this segment. No, but, but it's, it's, it's so be hard easy. Not to. I mean, he's going to be like, he's going to be my go to if I can't find any other good examples. I'll just go back to this asshole. Because there's Twitter always feed, something. And there's always something you can find. But this is Joel Osteen. I'm sure to everyone who could possibly listen to this podcast, you probably at least know of this guy. You would certainly recognize his stupid, idiotically grinning face. He's the sort of the Tony Robbins of Christianity, and he has a super church and a gargantuan mansion, and he's on television, and he, you know, he's just one of these new age, filthy rich con men that preys on the ignorance and and weak minded, and just is a horrid human being. And he tweeted something out this week that was one of the most blatant displays of of nonsense. I'll just read the tweet. And this is verbatim, and I did go to his Twitter feed and verify that he actually tweeted this, and it is his certified account. The facts may tell you one thing, but God is not limited by facts. Choose faith in spite of the facts. And I don't need, you don't even need to elaborate on that. I mean, you know, you can't, you don't need to go into that and sort of like, well, and draw some vague, you know, reference no, to support what you're saying. That's about as out there. as it fucking yeah. gets. And so, and and this since this episode is on cognitive dissonance, I thought that was a fucking perfect way to launch the the thing. And the first thing I want to do is I'm going to read the Merriam-Webster definition of cognitive dissonance. It's the psychological conflict resulting from simultaneously held incongruous beliefs and attitudes. Now I want to point out immediately, cognitive dissonance is not. The act of holding these incongruous beliefs. Yeah, we, we the, talked about this the, over coffee. I was I was confused. I wanted to yeah, and, clear this up. And, what and, he meant by that. And we and what it actually is is cognitive dissonance is the it's the conflict, it's the discomfort, it's the dis ease resulting from holding these simultaneously conflicting viewpoints. So it's not that people suffer from cognitive dissonance that I'm concerned about. It's how the suffering of that cognitive dissonance affects all of us, especially in a social... Societally. A, yeah, especially socially, societally, yeah, yeah. culturally, you know. Not all individually. Right, because I, I mean, and I wanna, I'm going to periodically restate this. I am not anti-Christian categorically. I'm anti-Christian. I'm anti-religious in the public sector. They should not be using their myth and dogma to dictate what goes into textbooks, to dictate what kind of choices people have available to them, yeah, to separation dictate civil of rights issues. State. It's just separation of church and state. And yeah. keep that church bullshit to yourself. And the immediate confines of your home, family, and other willing, consenting adults that want to be involved in that nonsense, keep it with y'all. But don't come out of that shell and act like you get to say what the rest of us, how the rest of us in the world need to function. And that's the whole purpose of, of the movement that I feel like I'm a part of 
is that it's time to push that tide back to where it resists solely in the independent individual lives of the people who want to believe that and is not being used as a um you know a a, a device to rule the rest of us so it, i, I want to relate a brief anecdote earlier this week and one of the reasons i picked this topic today for today was I posted a, a, a screenshot of that Joel Osteen quote, and I sort of superimposed a miniature poster that was a mock of the posters that the Westboro Baptist Church carries that says, God hates fags. But the one I posted said, God hates facts. And I sort of superimposed it like a postage stamp on the Joel Osteen quote, and then put that as a photo comment on a Facebook thread that I was interacting on. And somebody commented that they really hated that the ignorance of that and it was vague and i and i was like so what do you mean by that and they were like and then you know in the course of our conversation they i determined that they were actually agreeing with me they were they were talking about the the thing that that was you know satirizing and that this person pointed out to me something that i i, I guess i knew and i just sort of forgotten was that this notion of faith superseding fact is something these people are proud of. It's not, I think that those of us that embrace factual reality, I think we go around thinking like, if they could just see what factual reality is, then they would release this ignorant faith and they would actually embrace reality. And the bottom line is, that's not true. They will not do that. There are a few thinkers and doubters in that world that may eventually come to the conclusion that that the myth myth doesn't hold up in the face of science. But the reality is that most of those people and me included, because I was raised Seventh-day Adventist, have been inoculated against accepting fact. Like, we were taught, when I was going to Seventh-day Adventist private schools, we were taught that, okay, here's what, here's how the world came into existence vis-a-vis young earth creationism. Now, when you go out into the world at some point in your life, you'll be introduced to the concept that there are people that believe in this thing called the theory of evolution and they're going to talk about the earth being millions and millions and millions of years old and they're going to talk about how dinosaurs existed millions of years ago and how mankind is you know you know 50 or a hundred thousand years old or whatever and that is all actually nonsense that comes directly from the devil that is all part of the master deceivers plan to take you away from the belief that you should have which is god created the world six thousand years ago so So not only was I taught bullshit, I was actually inoculated against being able to accept facts. Now, eventually it didn't work. I overcame it. Do you think that that is from the the concept of uh, having to come to God uh, with the faith of a little child? Well, I I think uh, sort of mentality. I think that mentality was invented to circumnavigate the the progress people make in the course of their in their of their developmental lives so you're going to get to a point well, just where, to keep you brainwashed in that just well tell you need you to from the start not to question because children which i always thought was so weird because children do nothing but question well but they but they also their questions up until a point like up until like six or eight years old and we're going to get into the developmental stages but up until about six or eight years old their questions are easily answered with magic and myth so when, yeah, when a well, child asks a question I mean. like why is the sky blue you could tell them it's because exactly we live in a in a in a uh, you know one of those snow villages that gets shaken up and the blue co- is caused oh, by the really? glass globe that sits up yeah huh. and the kids are going to buy that but then there comes a point where you know as they learn a little bit about science and stuff like that they're beginning they're going to begin to see that that's nonsense and and then the problem is and I believe that faith like a little child thing was invented to 
convince people who had begun to evolve to a rational state that what they were doing was wrong and that the faith of a little child, and I'm putting the, that in, quote, in air quotes, is the, the reason that that's important is because it is a pre-rational yeah, stage of exactly. development. And you need to have people arrest themselves there in order to continue believing this nonsense because it does not jive with reality yeah. and it does not jive with facts. See, uh, growing up Episcopalian the way that I did, we didn't have that kind of heavy dogma. As I said before, it was it was more of a, a social club with a, just a little sprinkling of religion thrown in. Still important uh, component, but, but not nearly as dogmatic. But even so, in Sunday school, you didn't ask questions that were uncomfortable. Uh, vis-a-vis, I got thrown out once for asking why Jesus was always pictured as blonde and blue-eyed because wasn't he a a Jew and B wasn't he from a part of the world where that really was not the uh, you know the makeup of the people and boom I was thrown out so but it wasn't anywhere near the kind of dogma that you're talking about well so that I'm glad you brought up the faith like a little child thing because we're going to talk about okay so we sort of define what cognitive dissonance is now and now we're going to talk about like okay where does it come from and it's obvious that the church, and I mean the church, I'm talking about Christianity. I'm, from now on, when I say the church, I'm talking about religion, okay? So Because this is, the, this is true for the Muslims, the Christians, the Jews, whatever. Now, are you talking gonna, about moderate or extremism I'm, within I'm, the religious context? I'm completely context. focused on the fundamentalists. Okay, okay. Because if you believe in evolution, I'm not talking to you. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and I, 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 thought, I think I've made it clear, but it's a good idea for people to constantly remind me of that because it does sound like I'm categorically. Yeah, occasionally, exactly. you can take things out of context and say I'm categorically just attacking religion in general, and I'm really not. Yeah, that's not I'm the case. I'm only attacking activist fundamentalist religion that feels like they need to be involved in the governing of the rest of us that's that's what i'm focused on and however much destruction religion needs to suffer to make that part go away then fine that's just collateral damage but it must go away it but needs once to again exit you, you don't mean go away in the sense of if that's what people believe just not in the public sector go away from the public sector yes okay. yes 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 yeah and they could go away from me. That wouldn't bother me. Oh, but I'm talking I realize about, that. You know, they could, I'm not, they could I'm not leave saying the planet we should have in a, a spaceship and you would be happy. Or, but, exactly. Yeah. Actually, they could stay here and the rest of us could leave the planet in spaceships. That would be better. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about in its origins. We're going to talk about we're going to use Maslow's hierarchy the, the pyramid, that's it's classic developmental psychology is widely accepted across many disciplines as being a valid sort of framework to talk about development in. And it, it's a good, like, sort of just thumbnail sketch of, of, of the arc of development that most people go through, or at least most healthy people should go through as they go through the course of their life. There's no definitive ages associated with each. There are some rough margins, like, you know, at certain ages in, in between certain years, you should be at about certain levels. But and, that, and that's just sort of a rule of thumb to go by so that if someone clearly isn't at that age anywhere close to that, it's a good idea. Like, man, maybe we need to look at them as a possible like having an actual, you know, learning disability or some kind of actual mental disability or something. But um it's since it's accepted by pretty much everybody, that's the sort of framework we're going to use to talk about this conversation. And Maslow's hierarchy is the one that says basically that until you meet certain needs, you can't even seek actualization of even more advanced needs. So the the, the basic pyramid is like when you're first born, it's a purely physiological reality. All you're looking for is you need to 
not freeze to death or burn up. Yep. You need to be able to eat, and you need to not be able to sit in your own feces for an extended period of time. Like, that's literally the entirety of your existence when you're initially born is must fulfill those needs. Protect myself from any dangers in my environment, eat, and de- and develop a means of disposing of my waste that doesn't involve me dying. That's really what your first pretty much yeah your first like thing is. Well, obviously, when you come out of the womb and that's your mission, the main source for the solution of all those problems is mom and, or dad, or dad, but mostly mom because she's got the fun bags full of food. That's the that's the good stuff. The fun bags <laughs> full of food. Yes. Um, <laughs> wow. And um, so that's your that's your first thing. So your your first mission in life is to attach yourself however you need to emotionally, psychologically, and physiologically to this person who's going to be the conduit through which you're going to fulfill all those needs. So that's attachment. There's a whole school of psychology associated with attachment disorders and how any breakdown and in the process of trying to attach can result in pathologies later yep. in life. That's not what we're specifically talking about. We're just talking about how does, where does cognitive dissonance comes from. So your first mission must survive. Yep. How do you do that? Attach to mom. Moving on. The next is you're going to begin expanding your sense of awareness and you're going to begin to associate fulfillment of these needs through more means than just mom. That's when dad, siblings, cousins, maybe neighbors, uh, if you're in a church, it'll be church members, which is exactly what it was for me. Um, your, Your sense of community begins to grow because you also begin to sense that these needs can also be met more adequately and at a greater to a greater degree by the village so that sort of notion and it a takes greater a greater frequency because there's power in numbers exactly and so it just is more is a more efficient way of meeting these needs by expanding that awareness and your sense of security also begins to grow to include those people so as you as you evolve as a person you're not you begin to realize that okay since it takes a village to raise a child this this sort of mindset the child becomes aware of the fact that okay so the safety security and fulfillment of the needs of the other villagers or my other tribesmen or, or whatever is also important because that's how it's gonna that's that's how it's gonna benefit me so you do develop early on in life you develop this sense of I'm I am reliant on those around me and that is where the motivation to to take on the values and the morality of that group begins to take root. And that's where learned, because morality is pretty much widely accepted as a learned system because, you know, so many different cultures have different definitions of what what is moral in some fairly significant areas. So we know that it's learned. It's not something that just programmed into human DNA. We essentially have this sense of right and wrong, but the sense of right and wrong really boils down to this idea of what's right for my tribe. So... If you've been taught from birth that what's right for your tribe is uh, female circumcision, then you're going to grow up and a part of your moral code is going to be you must circumcise females. Otherwise, the, the, the community isn't healthy because these women allowed to keep their clitorises are going to lead everyone down the road to hell. And so, you know, then you begin to adopt that as a value. Whereas in our culture, for instance, the genital mutilation of women is is widely eschewed as a horrific thing while the genital mutilation of men on the other hand is widely heralded as it's important it's healthy it's 
you know, it's it is better for the tribe. And a religious imperative in in one sector. (laughs) For some really asinine bullshit. But um, so anyway, then so you've been born. You've attached to mom. You've realized that's bigger than mom. So you're going to attach to this culture, this this group, and you're going to begin adopting their values. And that's basically where you get into the next phase, which is you begin to have deeper feelings of love uh, for family and others, and you also develop intimacy. That's that's where you, you we're now in like that sort of tween region where you're beginning to sense the other sex or the same sex, depending on your programming, um, and you're you're going to develop that intimacy. But as you begin to fulfill these needs. Now we're getting into the phase where you're not worried most people in a in a in an actualized civilized society aren't worried at this point about where my next meal's coming from. Food is sort of like especially as a child, food is sort of like this sort of thing that man eh, just sort of appears. Mom and dad make it happen. It's not something I need to worry myself about. And, you know, security, I, I, they close the door and lock it at night. Nobody's going to kill me. Dad's going to protect me. Mom's going to protect me. You, you begin to take these things for granted. And as you do, you begin to actually be able to evolve to ask other questions. And this is, I believe, where the real sort of damage begins to take place. Because that's, this is the ages of, say, from like, I don't know, at the very youngest would be like six up to like 13. That that range is where we're sort of discussing right now. And that's the range where in the course of those six or seven years right there, that's where kids begin to be able to ask the hard questions. Because I've heard, and we talked about this on our last one, that's where me and Garrison asked the questions. And this is where the groundwork that the adults in your life have been laying all along by inoculating you against this theory of evolution by inoculating you against facts, by encouraging this blind faith um, and saying that the blinder the faith, the stronger it is. That means that if you're willing to accept these things at face value, that your faith in God is stronger than other people's who have doubts. If you do have doubts, you can pray them away. Doubts are a sign of weakness. And and you're, you're just programmed with this for years and years and years. Whereas the reality is in order to be a scientist, in order to be a seeker, which I believe is what most of us actually get a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment out of life by doing is seeking answers to these sort of big esoteric questions. You're basically, that, that is sort of psychologically be- and sometimes physically beaten out of you in, in these years. Yeah, the, the film, if you haven't watched it, Jesus Camp is Boy. just eye-opening. And these are the ages that the group that is highlighted in this film, and you know, they're just one of many groups. But this is these are the ages that they they pull these kids in, and through many many emotional manipulations, Ritual, rituals, and things, yeah. they inculcate them into this very uh, um, I'd say fundamentalist right wing proselytizing cult. Yeah, it, it's uh, seriously do yourself a favor if you have any interest. Jesus camp, it is yeah. mind boggling. But it'll this really... is also, and they bring this up in in the film. This is also the age that the child soldiers are brought in. This is the age that Hitler Youth was brought in. This is the age where if you're going to try to inculcate the next generation, this is when you yeah. got to get them. And they know that. They're and they actually... know that. They mention this. Yeah. They they cite it. They, they several they, times. They're very aware of what they're doing but they think that because it's somehow morally forthright that's how they it, sleep yeah they night. have the moral ascendancy right. so it's okay it, it's it's their imperative as adults 
to then inculcate this next generation to get them at this age. And so, you know, as you as you as you also begin to develop, you start developing your sense of self, your self-esteem, your confidence, your respect for others and your respect by others. And all of these things are based around the values of the culture that you're in. So if you want respect from others, you have to be the person who espouses the value of your culture the most profoundly. And that's the way you win the respect of your peers. And that's I don't care what anybody says. Acceptance and respect from peers is a huge, huge deal for every human being. Even the most individually minded human beings that rely the least amount on the pack. In this point, when you're 12 years old, to be completely rejected by all of your peers is a burden most people aren't capable of handling. And most people will do anything to not have that experience. And that's where it behooves you your your programming now remember you're you're programmed genetically when you come out of the womb to attach yourself to whatever it takes to survive in the most effective way to get your needs met well if the most effective way to get your needs met is to accept jesus christ as your personal savior to accept the face value and i'm not even talking about because for me i don't i don't care if people accept jesus as their personal savior because that's a personal thing exactly what i'm talking about is they believe and i'm going to young earth creationism versus evolution i think is one of the sort of very overt battlegrounds where this 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 sort of uh, conflict has taken place and i'm going to focus on that quite a bit because i believe it's sort of analogous to what is going on on a lot of other somewhat lesser levels, but I believe that's that's a fight because that's a real thing. Because if you don't believe in evolution and you begin to renounce science, then you actually slow the progress of the species down. What you're actually doing for the rest of us is you're, or for all of us, including yourself, is you're restricting our ability to efficiently meet those base needs. Yeah, that's what you're doing yeah. because you're renouncing science, which is the reality of the universe that we live in. And if you're going to do that in such a way that you're going to prevent other people from learning it by putting it into textbooks, even if it's in addition to evolution as a sort of equal thing, it's still misguiding because it's not equal. It's not based in any reality. It's completely based in fictional myth. So that's when, as you begin to adopt the values of your culture, that's when you begin to consciously integrate the, the, the disparate views. So you see reality as one thing, but you're being told it's actually this other thing. And you, and you have now got, you know, if you're 12 or 13, you've got 12 or 13 years through the most crucial developmental, mentally developmental phases that you'll ever go through. You're being brainwashed and fully integrated into this modality where you are holding these disparate realities as real well, I think and you it, suffer from in, this oxymoronia yeah, in, or in generations dissonance. prior we didn't have all of this uh information that was immediately readily available and i don't care how strict your household is you can still as a young person you can find a way to get this information so i think that makes uh, that uh, separation even greater now because there is the information. It's not like they've cre- uh, the parents or the society or whatever have created this world and then there's no dissenting voice to actually create that cognitive dissonance. 
there's so much information out there that you can't help but see that there is something else other than what you're being taught. We've got we've got one last sort of phase I want to touch on, and then we're actually that's that's the sort of trajectory where we're headed next is why it's even more important now in the world than it was in the past than it has been in the past. I'm just going to read. This I just downloaded this model off the internet. It's a it's a pyramid that's Maslow's hierarchy. I'm just going to read the items that are at the top of this pyramid. Which once you've met all these baser needs and you eventually get up, you get up to the phase that Maslow referred to as self actualization. Now, every school of psychology agrees that regardless of how you label the phases, there is such a thing as arrested development. And arrested development can be emotional, psychological, physical, you know, a mentally retarded person is someone who's mentally arrested in their development. And it might be, it might be psychiatric in nature in that it's an actual physiological brain issue, but you can also be arrested developmentally in a psychological or an emotional context or emotional or, you know, any a spiritual if physical you have, yeah i mean anything um and i'm just going to read this and then we're going to and i think as i read it you're going to realize that if you are embracing this dogma if you're embracing this oxymorania and if you're suffering from cognitive dissonance you're never going to achieve this upper level because of the very nature of what it is it just says morality creativity spontaneity problem solving, lack of prejudice, and acceptance of facts. That's the top tier of Maslow's hierarchy. That's the sort of ultimate level of self-actualization you want to get to so that you can become a fully realized, self-actualized human being that continues to say, where am I? Who am I? How did I get here? Where am I going? You continue to ask these questions. You continue to embrace growth and learning and all this stuff. That's what self-actualization is. Well, if you already have all, quote unquote, the answers, then where's the point of growth? What's the point of evolving, of continuing to learn? You're, you're not even going to accept that continuing to learn is even possible, except for what more you can learn from the Bible. Or what more yeah, you growing in faith Quran. is a different thing than yeah. growing in personhood well, and, and in and, life. And yeah. ironically, growing in faith, and I'm putting that in air quotes too, growing in faith is actually regressing according to this pyramid. Because you, exactly. you're moving further away from this level of self-actualization than you are moving towards it. And so if we just go down the list, morality. If your morality is being defined by a book written 3,000 years ago by a bunch of Bronze Age goat herders... Um, you've got problems. Well, all you have to do is, is you know, they, they cherry pick out of several different books of the Old Testament. Well, yeah, uh, and this, know, is, this is But if you actually got into that, your morality would be, you know, there'd whole, be a lot of killing and stoning. And, and you, may, you, may, you would make Jeffrey Dahmer look like a reasonably exactly. sane person if you actually lived by the tenets that yeah. are laid forth in the Old Testament. Creativity. When you're, when you're you know, when you are renouncing reality... You know, I remember in like vacation Bible school in the summer times between, you know, during summer vacations from our private Christian school, we would go to the church for a few weeks every day for a few weeks during the summer for vacation Bible school, which is sort of like a fun version of, you know, summer camp. And also went to actual Christian summer camps a couple of years that were not, they weren't as fervent as that Jesus camp and the way it's portrayed in there, but it was definitely Christian summer camp. Like, we got around campfires at night and sang Christian songs with acoustic guitars. This was in the late 70s, so 
still very folksy. Well, see, I would posit that creativity is one of those things that uh, as long as you have your basic needs met, you can find creativity within any paradigm. So I have... I have okay, I'm not going to say it's not creative. Yes. I'm saying it's a very limited form of creativity because you're eschewing reality and you're accepting this faith. So all of your creativity is going to be stunted in and around the version of reality that you've decided is or you are being told is the acceptable version of reality because that's the only framework you have to work in. So yeah, sure. You have creativity, but coming up with creative ways of learning more about the Bible is again, sort of counter to actually creativity in the sense of self-actualization is a, is a modality, a way of growing, a way of continuing to grow and a way of continuing to explore yourself. But in a lot of ways, Christian creativity, because that's what I have to speak to, is actually oriented around just seeking out ways to further stunt you from growing outside of this notion of blind faith. So instead of you know looking to create, you would just be pouring plaster into the molds of Jesus's hands and learning how to paint those. You know what I'm saying? So, well, I, I think so, that's so a you're rather sophomoric your, view of, of well, I believe creativity that, in, in that aspect. But I, I take your meaning. I believe that the notion of Christian creativity is fairly sophomoric. If you look at what the music that the Christian world creates in the form of like Christian rock bands and stuff like that, it, it to say it's sophomoric would actually be giving it more credit than it's due in a lot of areas. I mean, it is a very sophomoric form of creativity. And there have been a few, there are there, some there exceptions. Some very there, successful Christian bands that actually ex- make very good music. The, 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 they are a tiny the fraction. The message might not be. No. It might they are be a kind tiny, of, tiny know, specific, fraction but, of people who do that. Well, and of that's course. Not, that's, that's just factual. This, so you're, talk, you're taking a few exceptions out. To sort of prove my well, rule. All I'm saying is that we're talking sort of in absolutes here, and I just wanted to say that there is a place no, for creativity in, within that paradigm. We're talking in generalities, which is the only thing you can do in a one-hour conversation about something as broad as this issue. All right. So, moving. if on. you want to talk about the 3% that you're talking about, fine. I'm talking about the 97%, which is the actual source of the woes. Just, just okay. adding a dissenting voice here. Okay. So, spontaneity. Obviously... A completely stunted view of reality limits the mere notion of spontaneity to, you know, within that very, very narrow framework, too. Problem solving. Now we're getting into real issues because one of the biggest deals, you know, the the first thing you're told about problem solving in the faith, in any sort of faith-based thing is pray. God will solve your problems. Just put your hands in the, put your problems at the feet of God and he'll take care of them. Put your problems at the feet of the cross. Bring your problems to the feet of the cross. Yada, 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 and pray. And you see this all the time in social media where somebody has a friend with cancer and rather than actually like doing something like crowdfunding some money to pay their family's bills while they're suffering from cancer, they'll just be calling out for everybody to pray. It's, it's. It's and 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 people do it and feel like it's the worst form of it's one of the oldest form of slacktivism, you know, like retweeting and reposting on Facebook nowadays are considered like what most people think of when they think of slacktivism, like this is intolerant. You must repost this. And and then they repost it. You're like, then you're patting yourself back like, yeah, I reposted that. Yeah, I'm 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 doing something. No, you're fucking not. You're not doing shit. And praying about something is... But it makes us feel like we are. Two hands. (laughs) How does the saying go? Two hands working are more productive than a thousand hands folded in prayer 
And that's the reality of the world. So you talk about problem solving. That's a huge, huge issue. And then you talk, you, you, you take that up to the highest levels of di- you know, international diplomacy and you talk about problem solving. Well, by the time somebody has spent the entirety of their 70-something years on this planet feeling that praying to this fictional God is the greatest form of problem solving you can have, look at George Bush. He spent eight years listening to the word of God and praying about everything and look where it got the whole country in eight years on every level of government. It was terrible. And then of course lack of prejudice. I don't I don't even need to yeah, elaborate I don't think on we that need at to all. Go any further into that that speaks to itself. And acceptance of facts is the is the is the main like and that's that's the whole point. So in order to see real self actualization by almost every acceptable model of human development that's in the world of psychology and psychological development acceptance of facts would be critical to realizing yourself as a fully actualized human being and yet in the religious fundamental model you are raised from the beginning to and you're programmed and you're inoculated against and you're told that not only is acceptance of the facts not of god but acceptance of the facts that science puts out. Well, acceptance of facts that aren't uh, facts that are based within your specific religion. Well, and there's so very little in the way of actual facts that are based in those religions that you're basically taught that faith, it's faith versus facts. Yes. And if you've been told that your whole life, and now your job is to negotiate a settlement between Palestine and Israel, and you're a Christian— talking to Arabs and Jews, how the fuck is that even supposed to be remotely plausible that anything good could come out of that arrangement when you've got all parties involved that all think the others are of the devil and that your and, truth is the only and your truth. truth is the only truth and all three of your reactions to this, your primary thing is, well, we have to pray about this. So which one of you is praying to the real God? <laughs> and how come he isn't doing any fucking thing? Because nobody's winning. There's yep. no side that's prevailing over there. And it's just, that's to me, that's just the perfect example of how not only does this mindset, is this mindset dangerous, but that's how it creates danger for people outside of its belief system. Now we live in a world where, you know, when I was a Marine, I had atheists on my dog tags. Well, that's not going to stop a president like George H.W. Bush from sending us into places like Somalia and Yugoslavia to these Muslim areas to essentially exercise the moral ascendancy that they feel like they have because they're white Christians. And yet I'm an atheist and I'm being asked to arbitrate these incredibly hostile situations. That's the reality of the world we live in. These people are creating these problems and their cognitive dissonance, the ability of them to and, and the dis-ease and discomfort associated with them holding these disparate, mutually exclusive systems and trying to confine them into the reality that they live in. The pathology that emerges from that is affecting every one of us. It, absolutely. It, it absolutely is. And I believe that this cognitive dissonance that comes from this mindset that's so permeated. And I'm, I'm focusing on as somebody that lives in the United States 
and was raised Christian, and this is a predominantly Christian culture, I'm focusing on it as it relates to the Western world and Christianity. But if you want to go global with this, you know, between the three bigs of religion, everyone in the world is affected on some level by this cognitive dissonance. It's unbelievable. And you talk about problem solving. Like, the most destructive thing on this planet right now is shitty water. That's what kills more people than war, disease, or anything else. Yep. Is people drinking contaminated water. Or not having any water at all to drink. But if you're a Christian and you believe you live in a Christian nation that God has blessed and ordained as the best place to live on earth, then in your mind you're going to see children dying of shitty water in Africa as like, well, that's just because they're not on the right side of morality. That's the way you're subconsciously going to see that world. It's just how it is. And then if you try to exercise the force of will to include that in your model, then the cognitive dissonance is only going to grow because now you're, you're starting to have to, you're cramming more and more oxymoronic things. In these well, not if it's in the context of uh, uh, Christian charity uh, going but out and... I'm uh, going to maintain that Christian charity in, in, in some ways is sort of an oxymoron in itself because... Most of the time, it's not done for the sole value of helping people. Most of oh, the time, no, Christian charities are recruiting, and so sure they do some good. But you go on to like you start digging into Mother well, it's Teresa. It's done to earn what, brownie points for yourself you in heaven. The way Mother Teresa and the mothers and as a recruiting tool, you know, just study them. That's yeah. all you got to do, and that's sort of a good thumbnail sketch of what Christian charity is and w- the way it's actually exercised. Not a hundred percent, but yes, in the fundamentalist world, I would agree with you. Yeah. Agree to disagree. <laughs> We're, you know, I'm going to say this again. There are exceptions to the rule. We are talking in generalities. I know. But anytime we can say something and it applies to 90% of fundamentalists around the world, then it's as close to factual as we need for this level of conversation about it. Okay, that brings us to something Garrison brought up earlier and how this is so much more important in today's world. This, is a pro- this has become more problematic in today's world than it's ever been. And here's why. Even a few hundred years ago, but let's go back even further. Let's say a couple thousand years ago, right, like right around the time the Bible was written, for instance, the Old Testament. If you look at the course of human history over the course of a human lifetime, it was inconsequential, negligible. Very little was learned. Very little growth actually happened. Well, 40 was the course of a That's, human well, lifetime. Even if it was 100, if it was that, yeah. a thousand years ago, not much changed over the course of a hundred years. Like things moved very slowly. Like... So, and because there was not this ability to widely affect the globe from one small geographic area, most of the initial impacts would be relatively small and in your area. There weren't the, uh, a lot of the problems that exist on the globe now because there wasn't the population issues. Yeah, there wasn't, in the tribal society, it's Right, small. it was all very much smaller scale stuff. Yeah. And now, as we've, we've come to this point where the the distance between the initiation of an idea and its fruition into reality has gotten to be so short and so instantaneous that the effects are felt almost immediately. And that's why the decisions governments make now have a, have a direct effect immediately on populations, whereas in the past, decisions governments would make might not even affect that generation. It might even be their kids' generation before the real effects of that would be felt. And now we're at a point where those decisions have immediate 
and real ramifications. And the and and because things are moving so quickly, learning how to work together and not work at odds is even more important because things are moving so quickly. The pathologies can become grotesque and huge because things move so fast that if things aren't handled... Well, the consequences of quick action without uh, there being enough thought behind it. I mean, instantaneous. Right. And and especially when that reaction is coming out of a place of cognitive dissonance. Absolutely. Then the... Re- you can't take it back. You can't take a bomb back. You can't take, you know... Right, right. You're, you're talking about, you know, massive pathologies in a very real situation, especially when you start talking about nuclear armaments and stuff like that. Then you're talking about, like, you know, for instance... You know, one of the problems in the Middle East is this situation with Palestine and Israel. Well, so the Palestinians are mostly descendant, uh, they they believe, descendant of, you know, the Muslim culture. Uh, Israel is God's chosen people, the Jews. And the the U.S. is a quote-unquote Christian nation in the eyes of Christians. And the Christians, fundamentalist Christians, believe that Armageddon is going to take place and is a real thing that's going to happen in real revelation-type in times are coming and they believe it's going to originate around the city of jerusalem and so conflict in the city of jerusalem is a sign of the end of times which is a sign that jesus is coming back soon so which is a good thing for that group, right so the evangelicals are like sweet so that's why and and this is something that's interesting to note a huge amount of the money that gets used to lobby to support israel in this country comes from the Baptist and Methodist religions. They actually spend a huge amount of money to support Israel as a state and support what Israel's doing in Palestine. And the reason that they're doing that is to hasten the end times so that Jesus can come back. And George W. Bush was an evangelical who believed that and wanted those things to escalate. So policy was made. So policy was being made based on this incredibly pathological mind set that is completely counter to reality because if you accept the fact that god didn't exist as portrayed in the old testament or in the torah or in the quran if you accept that he did not which most sane people do then all of that's nonsense even if you believe that there's some truth to the Bible, you have to just believe that there's some sort of allegory or parable or something in those prophecies. But if you take all that shit literally, then you're a horrible human being because what you're wishing for is you're wishing for genocide, mass devastation. You actually want to see those things happen because it's hastening this return of this mythological figure that we're now learning through historical evidence and clues that never actually existed as a person, not anything at all like what is being portrayed. It's well, nonsense. It's not, it's not even in the larger sense, just the, the destruction of world. I mean, it goes down to very small things. And Eric has heard this story before, but I'll tell y'all, uh, I was uh, at uh, dinner with a bunch of seventh day Adventists and, there were probably uh, eight of them there, and then myself and my two friends that were members of this family, but not believing uh, in the Seventh-day Adventist uh, uh, paradigm. Uh, we were on one side of the table, and the other ones were on the other, and this very young, uh, lovely woman, probably in her early 20s, we were talking about climate change and things like that, and she just looked right at us, and she said, well, you know, I don't recycle. I don't believe in it because, you know, when Jesus comes, he's going to make the world new anyway, so there's really no point, is there? And that's a 
perfect example <laughs> on a, on a, in a sort of in microcosm a, a of what I'm talking about and how exactly. it affects the macrocosm. Because when you've got uh, you got hundreds of millions of people that believe this in the world, and these people are. You know, they're shaping and that that actually is uh, i want to touch on a couple other things so when you talk about problem solving look at some of the woes that our society suffers from gun violence racism sexism child abuse and climate change all of it all of these things yeah all of these things involve a level of problem solving that's completely incapable of being done when significant portions of the people establishing and are enforcing this policy believe in this mythological worldview and the more reality mounts up, the more racism, the more gun violence, the more of these things we see mounting up, the more pathologically, they're more, the more pathological their expression of the cognitive dissonance that it takes to continue holding these mutually exclusive, completely incompatible, incongruous belief systems in their minds at the same time, the more force of will it takes to just keep holding this vision even though it's almost impossible to ignore the fact that it's not really real and 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 they're shaking at the sheer will of it and the pathologies that are going to come out of that are going to continue to be more they're going to continue to get worse they're going to continue and to escalate and and like human evolution it's going to escalate at an exponential rate and if you don't know what that means look up exponential curve and see what i'm talking about it actually increases dramatically over time and you know, climate change is sort of the last thing I threw on this list, and that's the, that brings us to the sort of the, the the last the the end. And so, where we've gone from is we've gone from a tweet by someone who's supposedly a spiritual leader of one of the largest Christian communities, establishing that you should never that that literally he lauds the fact that holding faith over fact is is godly. That's the way you should. It's an imperative. Be. It's an imp- it's a moral imperative. Yeah, exactly. It's not just an it's not a psychological imperative. No, it's no, a it's a religious imperative. moral and imperative. The, and and the and the, the 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 state of your eternal soul yes. rests on the perception of this. Through how that happens, we've taken you through the basic steps of how that can take root early developmentally and how it can manifest itself later. And then we've sort of begun to brush over how those things can actually affect us on a large scale. And the last thing I want to talk about is, uh, so this week I'm going to do, I haven't done a little intro for it yet, but I'm going to, I'll do a, a sound, a music intro for this called fuck tart of the week. And this time it's Senator James Einhoff. He's from Oklahoma. He's 80 year old white Christian fundamentalist who is because of the recent elections and this is 2014. So it was the interim elections and the, 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 um, the Republicans, the conservatives reclaimed took, control of re, both houses yeah, of the, of the of Congress. And he is going to chair the Senate committee on environment and public works, which sets environmental policy. They're the ones, they're the first committee you have to clear. If you want to pass a law about any kind of environmental, yeah, this is federal. This is not state. Right. This, this, this is, is this federal. Is, this, this is our whole country. Right. And this is one of the most powerful nations in the world. So he is, Arguably one of the most powerful people in the world when it comes to establishing our climate and the rules that govern the protection of our climate. And he believes in the Bible it says, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night. He believes that because he lives in this immutable 
created world by God who's still overseeing the the carrying out of it, that global climate change is a complete hoax. He was pinned down a couple of years ago at a climate conference in Venezuela where he was asked by a reporter from uh, a guy who wrote, a, wrote the article. I pulled this information from us from MotherJones.com. Um, Great publication, by the way. He uh, he he got this guy at this conference and at, and started asking him. So global climate change is a hoax, and this guy's like, "Yes, it's a complete hoax." And he was like, "Okay, so who's pulling off this hoax? Who's doing this?" And after pinning him down a couple of times, the guy finally the first name he blurted out was Barbara Streisand, yes. and the Hollywood <laughs> elites is the way he called it, and that this is global climate change is a hoax being perpetrated by these people for their various nefarious ends. Yes, and we all know how nefarious the Hollywood elite is when it comes to <laughs> The only thing nefarious the they are about change. is the goddamn plastic surgery. <laughs> That's the only thing they want to have control over. But that is a perfect example of how that, that, that world, that mentality, that worldview absolutely affects us in a, in a, in a huge way. You've got 97% of the legitimate scientific community saying that climate change is being at is the very fact. least affected by humans. Oh, it's that the climate is changing is a, is a fact, fact, is a law the fact that, that it we, is changing that, human and how beings, much we yeah. influence it, mm-hmm. how much humans are influencing that climate change is the only area of debate. And all of them agree that we are at least somewhat influencing it. We are responsible. That we are a significant source of the the problems that have led to the changing of the climate. Yeah. And that is something that's accepted by virtually every legitimate science on the planet. So the Hollywood elites have taken on the entirety of the scientific community to pull this hoax for their various nefarious ends. Just for fun. Yeah. Just because. Just to stick it to the corporate elites or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. But that's... That's a perfect example of, of how that effect is actually taking place. And so that guy is the fucktard of the week this week. And I got a feeling that if he actually... He's going to set policy for the rest of us. Well, Isn't and I got that a feeling exciting? like Joel Austin, he's going to become a frequent flyer on this program. <laughs> so that's basically it for the day. Um, we've got the podcast I talked about earlier. Got Chris... At unbuckling the Bible Belt, and that's at Seething Heathen. That's at S E E T H I N H E A T H E N. The Cognitive Dissonance Podcast with Cecil and Tom. Check them out at www.dissonancepod.com. The Scathing Atheist Podcast with Noah Lungeons and his wife Lucinda and Heath Enright at Noah underscore Lungeons, L U G E O N S. I'm Eric. At Eric Pelham dot at uh, um, at Eric Pelham, which is E R I K P E L H A M, and I'm Garrison at at Garamone G A R R I M O N E, like pheromone, only Garamone. And we are on Stitcher and iTunes. Thank you very much, and uh, thanks we'll for talk listening. To you guys soon.